I don't know what this young man did in his past. He's rejected it, but I'll tell you this, it's a crime. The politics of violence. We should be focused on these two thugs who attacked him. The rise in hate and crime. Did you do this because they were Republicans? Who's to blame? Who will stop it? I'm sick and tired of people throwing it on us. Like, we're the bad guys. We're politicizing things. A fight for the future of Broward schools. It had a focus. It had an end game. And um, it basically got to that point. School board member suspended, but running. Her challenger promising change. I don't think that we need to have the ethical challenges. I don't think we need to have uh, the drama. I think we ought to be focusing on education. Battle for the beach. Who will voters send to Tallahassee? The countdown on the campaign trail to Election Day, all live this week in South Florida. Good morning. Glad you could join us. I'm Michael Putnam. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin with politics and violence and what are still apparent examples of an increasing trend. The canvasser for Senator Marco Rubio, who was beaten on the campaign trail in Hialeah this week. The arrests of two people, the backlash. And that was days before the break-in at House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's home and the beating that left her husband with skull fractures. If these crimes do turn out to be politically motivated, they are part of an increasing trend in both parties. Political differences in our country are supposed to be settled at the ballot box, not on the street with weapons and beatings. And yet that is what we are seeing now. Most horrifying example, of course, the assault on the Capitol on January 6, 2021. Renee Garcia of Hialeah is a Miami-Dade County Commissioner, former state senator, well regarded for working with colleagues on both sides of the aisle, and now he is the chairman of the Miami-Dade Republican Party. Renee Garcia, great to see you. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Can we hear Renee? I don't... Make sure you're not muted. Yeah, I'm sorry, I was on mute. Oh, okay. Good morning, how are you? We hear you loud and clear, we're great. Uh, Renee, the uh, beating in Hialeah that happened a week ago today, these two thugs, criminal records, beat up Christopher Monzon, who was handing out political brochures for Marco Rubio and wearing a Rubio t-shirt at the time. What is your take on this ugly incident? Do you think this was a political attack? Look, uh, based on uh, Christopher's Monzon's uh, testimony or, or, or talking to him, uh, he is saying it was because it was politically motivated. But regardless of that, I mean, there's no place uh, for this type of hate or attack. It was a crime that was committed against uh, a canvasser, someone that was exercising the First Amendment right. Regardless if he's a Republican or regardless if he's a Democrat, this is something that we should never tolerate in our political discourse here in this country. Uh, everyone has the right uh, to to uh, advocate for a candidate over uh, over the other one. So I think that um, hopefully uh, this could be a lesson for all of us so we can start toning down the rhetoric, uh, make sure that this never happens again. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone would disagree with you on that one bit. Renee, you have, right now you're the chair of the party locally, but you've been an elected official for more than 20 years. Sort of, we known each other like half our lives. And <laughs> have, what has changed? You never went through any of this in your campaigns and your elections. What do you think has changed and how and why? What has changed is that the extremes keep on ripping this country apart. Uh, we know that this country has always been, operates more in the center, and it's a pendulum. It swings back and forth somewhat to, somewhat to the right, sometimes to the left, but 
I think in the last couple of years, the, the pendulum has been swinging far to the right, far to the left. And when most of America is somewhere in the middle, and we have got to a point where we've allowed the extremes on both sides to dictate the national policy, both at the national level or at the local level. This is why it's important for us to keep on voicing our opinions and speaking up and not be afraid to voice our opinions. Uh, yeah. We've gotten to a point um, where, you know, first, our First Amendment rights have been under attack, where you have, you're, only, you're only good if you agree with them 100% of the time. The moment you disagree with someone, they try to cut you off. And this is something that really has to end. And I think most, of, most Americans are really tired of this back and forth and want us to get back to some type of stability uh, where we can all speak up and, be, and not be afraid to voice our opinions or our thoughts. Yeah. Well, in fact, what you have just said sort of exemplifies why Glenna and I invited you to be with us this morning. I think you are one of the most reasonable, uh, moderate politicians we know in South Florida over the last 20, 25 years. And, uh, you know, your views uh, unbelievably, you know, sort of have moved into the minority as people become more divided. Uh, Renee, let me ask you about this guy, Christopher Monzone. He had a long history of association with the, uh, the Confederacy, the white Confederates uh, group, Confederates of the South. Uh, the SPLC had condemned that group as a white hatred group. Uh, and then he was arrested in Hollywood a couple of years ago trying to charge some people who wanted to change the names of the streets from those of Confederate generals. I guess my question is, and I'm so, sorry to be long-winded, but the question is, why would the Republican Party of Florida hire a guy with this kind of a background to canvass for them? Well, that, that's a question you would have to ask the RPOF. I'll tell you this. Yeah, Michael, I've tried. You know, there's, there, there's been, you know, the fact that we continuously bring up this, this Christopher's background as to uh, justify this attack and not really bring up the attacker's background, that sometimes is, it's something that's a little disconcerting to me when we see what's happening in the press. I'll tell you this, Michael, uh, I've had conversations with Chris and we in this country are people that we say, you know, we have, we give people a second chance. Chris has told me time and time again that, you know, I, I, I was going down a different path and now I'm, I'm back here, I'm going down this path. You know, I, I, some of the actions that I took in the past weren't necessarily the actions that I, that I feel proud about, but this is, he's a person who I think has tried to redeem himself and sees that some of those views that he had were a bit extreme. So, and, and that in itself, it's just still very disconcerting to me how we want to attack whatever he's done in the past as to justify that he deserved this attack on him. And it's, and it's just wrong. I just don't think it's right. And I think Chris... Uh, has, uh, has come a long way, believes in, in our Republican principles, and believes that, that the, our, First Amendment, uh, our First Amendment is under attack in this country. And he just wants to make, go out and try to make sure that we get more Republicans elected. And I, and I, you know, I, I really feel for, for him and his family that, they, that the press has uh, been, uh, they, they, they've been under attack uh, because of what views he may have when he was a bit younger, which he doesn't share anymore. I'm just going on record as saying the press is a very big, broad brush, and we take uh, responsibility for what we do here. We, we have not attacked the victim here at Local 10 at all, nor, nor will we ever. Renee, I wanted to ask you, go back to something you said before, and, and I, I would like you to kind of take us 
into the tent, if you would, for a moment. <coughs> the, the Republican Party locally does have members of some of the groups that many consider to be extremist mm -hmm. groups that you were mentioning before. Um, and free speech is what it is, and free thought is what it is. Take us sort of inside as, as the moderate voice of reason in your party who, who's just condemned violence. How, to, how do you work with the members of your party in your big tent who might be a bit more extreme than you're comfortable with? Yeah, the Proud Boys on your executive committee. Okay, but th th there we go again. We keep on going back to a story that the New York Times printed. The New York Times printed a story. Uh, can I just can I just stop you for one second? My question was, if there are no extremes in the party, then then that's the answer. But my question no, is, how but, you but, how but, you handle what you might not be comfortable with? That was kind of my no, question. No, but, but but Glenna, the First Amendment applies to everyone. We in the Republican Party, we're assuming that the Republican Party now is full of fascists and racists, and we are we we at the Republican Party here in Miami Dade GOP, we're the most diverse group in the state. We're the most diverse Republican Party in the nation. And yet we get continuously get painted because maybe we have two, three, five uh, proud boys that are on our, on our board. And mind you, some of these individuals are Hispanics. And when we were painted as having all these people in the proud, the proud boys having a taking over our committee, there was five members, two of which are voting members. You know, and it's very disappointing when we try to break down the Republican Party now, and yet on the left, there's extremist, extreme elements on the left side, but no one talks about that. Can no I, can one I talks just, about I, the extreme I just want elements to, on, on the Democratic Party, but it's, it's not fair. No, it's that, that, that answer is not bring up the Republican my question. I, can I just, um, in, in my own defense, you brought things to that answer that I did not ask. I asked you and your actions if there are things in your party in this big tent with such diversity and varied views that you're not comfortable with. Listen, we have someone running for Miami-Dade Commission right now to be your colleague who was banging on the door of then Congresswoman Donna Shalala's office when Nancy Pelosi was there. You know, so, so my question is to you and your actions and your thoughts as the leader of this, if there are people who do things that you're not comfortable with, how do you handle it? That that's my sort of basic this, question. As Republican Party, as, as as a chairman, you have to deal with everyone and everyone's points of views. When you get those points of views together, you want to make sure that you 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 vet them before before you're able to come up with resolutions and so forth. That's what we have been able to do in the Miami Dade GOP. There has been some some resolutions that have come up that have been somewhat extreme, and not so much actually from one group or another. Um, but from individuals that I think sometimes don't have the best interest of our own Republican Party. So the membership, the greater membership of the our, our, our Miami-Dade GOP have voted those those resolutions down. And that's how we do it. You know, this is, we are, we're a group, uh, Miami-Dade GOP is a very diverse group that people have varying opinions. And we're not here to shut anyone down. Uh, we want to make sure that people have the ability to speak up, voice their opinion. But we don't always have to be in an agreement agreement with someone, you know. Just because maybe you have one or two, or or, or a sect, a, a, a group that may be a bit extreme, or, or in their ideology, that doesn't mean that we are all in that same ideology. We don't all think the same way, you know. We're all free men and women who have free thought, 
And we have to understand and, and respect the individual's right to speak up and say what they want. We don't have to be in agreement with it, but we can't paint a whole group of individuals with the same brush because uh, because a certain Republican or a certain Democrat is is saying some some crazy and has crazy thoughts. It's the, it's upon us and and the press and like-minded individuals who think and see what's happening in this country where the extremes are continuously tearing us apart. We need to start coming together. We see what happened here in Hialeah. We're seeing what happens out in San Francisco. This needs to stop. And I think at all levels, everyone at any level of, of political office or, or party politics should condemn all these actions across the board. This needs to stop. We cannot continue living this great nation if we continue bashing each other in this manner. 110%. Amen. We, we agree. Rene Garcia, great speaking with you. Thanks so much. Thank you. And next, a school board candidate in Broward, suspended by the governor, wants her seat back. She and her opponent in this race are both going to join us live after the break. School board races generally don't get a lot of attention. Mostly they are free of drama or controversy or partisanship. But oh no, not these days and certainly not in Broward County. One of the four school board members suspended by the governor in the wake of that scathing grand jury report is now running for re-election. Donna Korn served three terms on the board and is now asking voters to give her her seat back. Alan Zeman is running against her. He is CEO of an executive coaching firm, held senior executive positions in the U.S. Navy, and is a doctor of economics. And it's so great to have both of you here together for viewers to hear you and uh, engage what's what. Yeah, welcome. We are glad. So glad you are here. Uh, Donna Korn, let's begin with the obvious question. Governor DeSantis suspended you and three other board members, would have been five, uh, but he suspended the board members after the grand jury report said that, that you and your fellow board members had mismanaged the, the Broward County public schools. You had been inept, uh, malfeasance, maybe misfeasance as well. And uh, the question now becomes, if you are elected once again to the board, what is to stop Governor DeSantis from suspending you for a second time? Well, so first I want to thank you, um, Glenna and Michael, for inviting me to be part of the conversation. Very happy to answer the questions. Uh, I can tell you that the governor himself actually on many occasions has stated, uh, in fact, even back in 2019 when he first issued the grand jury report, request that uh, he did not have the authority at that time uh, based on the fact that we had been duly elected uh, individuals. Uh, in addition to that, he actually, uh, for others that he had suspended from office, made the statement that he would not then remove someone after they had been suspended but then duly elected again. So on his own words, but in addition to that, there is not only uh, Supreme Court rulings, but there's actually also past advisories from the Supreme Court that are not gray on this area, they are quite black and white. But once you have been duly elected to a new term, that uh, the governor would not have the authority based on that grand jury to be able to uh, remove board members again. Alan Zeman, so you are running against Ms. Korn for this seat. Um, with all your, your background, give viewers a sense of what involvement you've had in Broward schools or any education that you would bring to a school board seat. Oh, thanks so much. I appreciate uh, that question, Glenna. I mean, first and foremost, uh, while I was working as a senior executive for the Navy, I ran the largest training and education system in the world. 
And as part of that job, I sat on the Department of Defense School Board, you know, and, and helped uh, do the board functions for a global uh, public education system, one that's really the envy of the world. Uh, after I retired and started a business, I moved back here and the mayor asked me to chair the city's education advisory board, which I did for five years. And we experienced significant improvements, <coughs> excuse me, in our educational achievement. So uh, I have a lot of experience, uh, both as an executive, as an executive in training and education and in Broward County Schools. Yeah, Alan, it, I'm, I, I beg your pardon, go ahead. I just wanted to follow up, thanks, real quickly. Um, you mentioned the Department of Defense. That immediately sends my mind veering off into school security issues, and, and maybe, you know, we go into this a little bit later, but the, the grand jury report, Donna Korn, was initially started because of uh, what the governor's uh, issues were with school security district-wide in the wake of Marjorie Stoneman Douglas massacres. So um, um, I wonder if you would just answer really quickly, uh, you know, the grand jury report found that even after months later, years later, the school security uh, improvements and changes that were mandated by the state still hadn't been done in the district. Would you address that? Yes, Sorry, you know, you, you mentioned in your introduction that the grand jury report was scathing, uh, and it was. Uh, if you read the grand jury report, <laughs> excuse me, you'll see things that uh, really make your head you know, kind of spin around, make you scratch your head. Uh, and I think that uh, my opponent is engaging in some wishful thinking if she thinks that Governor DeSantis wouldn't uh, remove her in a heartbeat. I don't think he cares about Broward voters. He's not gonna win this county. Uh, and, and in 2011, we had a, a commissioner in, in Miami that was removed twice. And she's also wrong on the legal front. You know, this is not something you can appeal to the Florida Supreme Court. The Florida statute says you have to appeal it to the Florida Senate. And last I checked, the Florida Senate's two thirds Republican. It's probably gonna be close to that after November 8th. So uh, I just have kind of continued to remind people that we're not forecasters of what Governor DeSantis is gonna do. But if you care about students, uh, it's just a risk that's too much to take given what's in the grand jury report. Yeah, uh, Donna, let's go back to the question I think that uh, Glenn was asking you. 2014, as you well know, you were on the board then. Uh, Broward yeah. County voters approved an $800 million school renovation construction program. One of the things the grand jury said was, boy, th this never happened or it's happened way too slowly. It's been mismanaged. Uh, were you aware of how badly that program was working? So I'm going to take a, a quick step back, and I appreciate the question. So this grand jury was given a very clear directive from the governor who had made a campaign promise. And um, basically, the grand jury was utilized for that political purpose. Uh, what was identified in the grand jury did has certainly spoken to several of the issues that even myself personally as a board member have been challenged in trying to help to direct the school district to be successful. And by the way, we've had some very great successes. In the meantime, those things that we've engaged over time are some of the things the grand jury pointed out and we have um, since and had actually already been in the process of doing, such as having an external audit having a bond oversight committee that reports quarterly to the board, that we actually give um, direction and um, to the superintendent to act on those bond oversight committee uh, responses, as well as having TaxWatch to be an outside entity that consistently is giving us feedback. 
we actually changed our project management team. We changed first the management of it uh, within the same company, then we changed to a new one. We also have continuously evaluated what are the most expensive parts of our construction bond program. One of those has been roofing. So we've had multiple different presentations all in the public in which we've made determinations as to why are these costs as exorbitant as they are. And then we've made decisions about what are some of the long-term goals with those dollars. These are taxpayer dollars and we can't just make short-term decisions. Those decisions then sometimes may cost more than initially had been ascertained. But at the end of the day, the value to our school board, uh, to our school district, to our students, to our families and our community are what they're going to be able to take away. Yeah. All right, Donna, if I can, let me let me jump in here. Uh, sure. Alan Zeman, uh, among your many other accomplishments, you know, when you were working for the Navy, you oversaw the reconstruction of Baghdad and Iraq. I mean, that's a pretty big job. So when you look here at the renovations to the Broward County Public Schools, what's your opinion? Well, I just got to tell you, Michael, um, saying something doesn't make it so. So the independent Florida Tax Watch said it was a disaster. The uh, supposedly political grand jury condemned the school board that didn't oversee it in the right way. So all the descriptions of it being a great success are just not borne out by the facts. The facts are it's way behind schedule. It's now costing us tons because it was so far behind uh, schedule. You're right. I was the chief economist for rebuilding Iraq. I spent $28 billion in one year. Wow. So this was an $800 million bond and it's gonna get done in 14 years. That's just uh, not acceptable. I don't think voters uh, will accept it. And, and unfortunately there's been ca catastrophes like the middle school up the street from me had its roof uh, cave in because it was three years behind schedule at getting replaced. This is just not something you can wish away. We are going to take a very quick break. I invite you to sit tight, stay tuned, and we will see you back here for more discussion in two minutes. We are back with school board candidates, Broward School Board candidates, Alan Zeman, Donna Korn, uh, both vying for a seat at a very interesting transitionary time on that school board. Um, the superintendent, Vicki Cartwright, this week was almost fired, um, and the new chair, Tori Alston, had given her 90 days, the board gave her 90 days, and 15 <coughs> points of contention for her to improve upon. Of course, um, Dr. Cartwright took over really officially long-term in February at a, at a time when she had a lot to handle in flux. So, Donna Korn, let's start with you. Um, give us your take on the superintendent and her future. So, um that's something that in terms of the evaluation, I was disappointed when the uh, board decided not to do an evaluation at the time. In fact, the, the contract and an agreed upon evaluation tool was set up specifically to stay focused on what's most important to education. And that is outcomes. That's deliverables for students and for our community. Um, that was set aside. I'm very happy and looking forward to engaging in that evaluation when I come back um, as a school board member. And um, you know, we've accomplished a lot of things as a board. Um, and when I think about, yes, the position that we're in, the superintendent certainly has helped us get to a place in which, for instance, the MSD commission chair called the Broward County a model for safety. Um, we have also been able to accomplish some tremendous things in our areas of certification, our JROTC program. 
uh, entrepreneurship, things that are really remarkable, those are the types of things that our superintendent um, needs to be evaluated on. Those are the things I'm looking forward to evaluating her on as I come back 28 years as a businesswoman. I understand what the process is, and this is a process in which we have to be able to look at what is her responsibility, what are her deliverables, and as a mom, I know what that means. As a prior teacher here in Broward County, I know what that means, and I know that those who are supporting and endorsing me across this district understand that I've evaluated in the past and look forward to being able to evaluate her on just that outcomes. Alan Zeman, what's your take on the future of Dr. Cartwright? And the, and the 15 areas where the chair says she needs to improve an answer to. You know, that was an interesting meeting. Uh, 13 hours, uh, the chairman brought up 15 points that he felt uh, and other members of the board felt needed improvement. I thought it was a healthy meeting. It ended uh, in a good place. I appreciate Donna's uh, newfound love of outcomes and measurable results. Uh, unfortunately, she came into office and we were an A-rated school district, just like Miami-Dade and Palm Beach, but for the next 10 years of her service, we were rated B in the county. Uh, that is uh, a fact, and that cannot be the case going forward. We have to be an A-rated school district in Broward County, and the superintendent has to play a major leadership role in helping to get us there. So we agree that uh, superintendents need to be assessed primarily based on measurable outcomes, but Don and I fundamentally disagree about whether the last 10 years as a B-rated school district is okay. To me, being okay is not okay. Um, here is a question for both of you, and Alan, let me begin with you. I think it's a given the pandemic had a profound adverse effect on education in the country, certainly in South Florida, in Broward County. We just, I think, a few weeks ago saw the NAEP results were released, and as I read them overall, uh, with fourth graders and eighth graders in Broward County, roughly, I mean, 45% or so in math, science, and uh, uh, reading are not performing at grade level. And uh, I mean, this is really unacceptable. So Alan Zeman, what would be your plan to get those kids learning more, learning better. Thanks, Michael. And uh, for your viewers, it's real easy to remember. Uh, the results at the end of the pandemic for English is two decades prior to the pandemic. We lost 20 years of progress in English. And in math, we lost three decades of progress. But unfortunately, we don't have a plan in place right now uh, to do the fundamental things that we need to do to overcome this COVID slide. And we have to do it. We have to find more time for academics. We have to make sure that summer schools and breaks include more academic remediation. We have to give people time and the freedom to teach and to follow the instructional systems design that we know can move people forward. So to be honest with you, this is gonna be a challenge. It's gonna take us years to fix, but we have to have a specific plan that involves more time learning uh, not more time doing other things. And we have to find partnerships with our cities, uh, with our teachers union, with our principals association. And we have to get serious about this, Michael, because this is an emergency and we have to treat it yeah. just like one. Yeah. Uh, Donna Corn, let's have your answer. What would be your plan to bring kids up to performing at grade level? Because many of them are not. 
So I'm going to I'm going to speak to that as well as speak to the overall progress. So I, I think there's been a misstatement to think that the only thing important to a community is actually a grade. And we were, by the way, one point away from that A grade. Um, the reality is, is, in my time as being a school board member, we have actually reduced the gap for our black students from a 12.3% all the way down to a 6.1%, just from 2016-17 to 2021. Additionally, we've taken our graduation rate up from 81% to 89.1%. That's that many more students walking across the stage and having that future. And unfortunately, I, I don't, if Mr. Zima thinks that we don't have a plan, we haven't had a plan as a school district, he's not actually been paying attention to what we're doing. We've had a, a very specific plan. Um, one in which incorporates a great deal of tutoring. That tutoring is in group tutoring. It's in one-on-one, -on -one, it's in extended days. It's in additional time that we've done over our spring break and our winter break, extended time that we've been able to offer summer school. Those are things that are actually helping to, um, to bring back that gap. There is no question. It was dramatic losses for our kids. Yeah, Alan Zeman, I know it sounds like I'm cutting you right off, and that's because we got to go. Uh, break time for us. Deeply Thanks appreciative of your time, both of you, and we appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you thank both you so, so much, much for being with us. We Thanks, appreciate Michael. it. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, When we come back, the battle for the beach. The candidates running to represent the coastal communities in Miami-Dade County have some big differences. You're going to meet them next. South Florida's coastal communities are on the tip of the spear for sea level rise, for tourism that grows the economy, and how to manage development. Joe Geller of Aventura, the current state representative for District 106, he is term limited, and the two candidates running to succeed him could not be more different. Democrat Jordan Leonard of Bay Harbor Islands, former mayor there for many years, held other roles in public service as well in Miami-Dade <coughs> County, Florida House, head of the Homestead Community Redevelopment Agency. The Republican candidate, whom you see there on the left, is former TV actor, entrepreneur, and political newcomer Fabian Bossabe. Fabian and Leonard, uh, Jordan, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you for having us. So let's start with um, Fabian. Let's let's start with you because you are a political newcomer, and I've seen some of the things that you've put out, and you're proud of that. That's kind of your platform. So I want to get a sense of what you both would bring to the district and to the state. So Fabian, let's start with you. Okay. Good morning again. So I've been working at this for a little over a year, um, and I know I get a, I get targeted a lot because uh, the message on the other side is that I might not have the experience. Well. I've paid my dues this year by earning the respect, respect of voters and respect of my local elected leaders. I am boots on the ground all day, sun up, first one out of the house, last one home. I've got a great team. Um, I am working to make tomorrow better than yesterday. I grew up in this paradise. I love this city. I love all the cities in this district. I grew up in Bay Harbor. I live in Miami Beach. Um, my part, my family's part of the infrastructure of this town. Um, and I noticed that in this paradise, people are smiling less and less. And, uh, and that's just not, that's just not okay. And I'm in a position 
to do something about it. Okay, so we're, we are um, definitely, you know, we, we, we talk quick here on television so we can get a lot okay. in with you. So um, okay. we're going to talk about okay. tomorrow's and smiles. Jordan Leonard, what, what would you bring to District 106 and, and to the state? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, one of the things I think is important is District 106 has 10 cities in the district, uh, more than any other in the entire county. There's only 34 cities in the whole county. Um, having a municipal background is important because protecting home rule is a top priority for the district. Um, having 10 cities in the district, um, you know, anyone who, who knows about municipal government knows about home rule, knows about preemptions. Um, most importantly, we need to talk about infrastructure. We need to talk about sustainability. We need to talk about sea level rise, windstorm insurance. These are really important issues. And these are all issues that you, you just don't, you know, read a book and say, I'm going to do it. You, you actually have to have a, a baseline knowledge and working in the community is, is great, but also having a background in policy and a background, not just being a mayor, but as a former administrator, um, you know, you see these problems uh, firsthand. You know, my last job, I oversaw 200 employees and I oversaw a police department, finance, building, public works. I tell people on the campaign trail, I'll be the first state legislator who knows how to change out a water meter. Um, you know, I don't think that you have to be able to know how to do that to be a legislator, but having that knowledge, um, I think puts me at the, the top uh, to be able to solve problems that impact yeah. everyone's day-to-day -day lives in this community. Yeah, Jordan, we will stipulate that you have a lot of experience in government, and that is a good thing. Uh, Fabian, uh, you have presented yourself in person and in your campaign literature as a moderate Republican. You want to reach across the aisle, and to your credit, you and Jordan agreed not to run any attack ads in the campaign, and you have not, so more power to you. But here's my question. You. If you were elected, are elected, and you go to Tallahassee and you say, hey, I'm a moderate, moderate Republican, they're going to eat you up because the, the legislature, the House of Representatives, is dominated by very <clears throat> conservative Republicans. How would you sort of get your point across if you say, I'm a, a moderate Republican? So this is exactly the point. Um, I have been running the same campaign since the beginning, and I have built relationships, understanding my mission. You have to understand in politics, both sides. Uh, the world's gotten so big with social media access, it, and they're both, you know, the political theater on both sides has gotten larger. And I am not backed by any special interest groups, so I am not forced to just vote down party line. I can say what needs to be said, and I think that helps both sides. Because both sides, when you take special interest money, you're kind of limited to what you can say. And being self-funded gives me an independent voice. Knowing this message, I'm, this is something both sides can use to help soften and, and, and tone down some of this theater. And I already have the endorsement of the incoming speaker of the House and the support of my entire freshman class. These are the people who are going to be seconding my motion, helping me get through committees. I've got senators. I've, I've even right. earned the respect so we, we, and relationship of people on the Democratic Fabian, side. excuse so me. I, I mean, it, I'm doing what Excuse me. Let, me. let me jump in. We understand that you have associations, and that's all to the good. Let's talk about issues. What is the main issue driving you to go to Tallahassee? The main issue, it's, it's a bit broad, but 
What, what this position allows me to do is use the access and relationships I have to actually deliver for the district. To deliver we what? Have a super, what? What are you talking about? It's, cost of well, living, what this does, infrastructure? All of what? It. We bring back our cost of living increases. We bring back money. I, I'm in the process, I got the governor's office to call a, a local Democrat mayor in my district who's going to be endorsing the governor. We're fast-tracking a $60 million resiliency bill. This is money we need. If you watch our former, uh, who, who just retired, uh, our former rep, he was able in his whole course to only bring in $30 million total. They are not doing business with what they identify the Democratic Party as an ideal extremist party now. They're not recognizing as they don't recognize it as the Democratic Party of yesteryear. All right, let me and let me just bring, let me bring Jordan party into well. this conversation because I think what I hear you saying, Fabian, is that well of course you're gonna have the support and endorsement of the incoming speaker and all the Republicans. That's that's sort of well, an expected no, thing. I but didn't, excuse, I me, didn't, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I want to bring Jordan yeah. Leonard into this because <laughs> I want to talk about a couple of issues. A lot of bipartisan things went on in Tallahassee over this session that didn't uh, get much press because of the culture war issues, which kind of sucked up all the oxygen in the room and, and to some deservedly so. Things like abortion restrictions and uh, restrictions on how teachers teach certain subjects like race and like uh, sexual education. So Jordan Leonard, that's what you'll be stepping into uh, should you win the seat in a minority party. And, and I want to give you an opportunity to talk about how you might find footing there for your issues. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, being in the minority, you have to you have to be honest about what you can accomplish. Um, fighting for what you believe in is important, and I will do that. But on those issues, we're going to lose. Um, you know, can you tweak things and, and try to make them um, just a little bit better? Yes. And, and some of the Democrat members have been able to work across the aisle, and I'll be one of those members that does the same thing. But, um, you know, make no mistake about it, no freshman Democrat or freshman Republican has the ability to single-handedly uh, wave a magic wand. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And, and I wish it did, but it, it, it didn't. Um, you know, it, the, the rationale behind uh, saying I'm going to be the Republican and I'm going to be able to magically make things change because um, that's the way it works. That's like saying that you should pick your attorney not because of the most qualified, but because they went to the same law school as the judge. Uh, you make decisions like that, you're going to be spending a lot of time in a correctional institution uh, thinking about your mistakes. All right. Well, uh, let me let me jump. My I beg your pardon. Let me jump in here. No, you both sure. have more things to say. We need to take a commercial break and sure. we'll be back with more from you guys in just a minute. Welcome back on the Sunday. We are having a lively conversation with the two candidates in State House District 106. That is roughly from Fisher Island north up towards Aventura. Uh, Fabian Basabi, I need to ask you an obvious question. You knew this one is coming. In uh, 2020, you and your young son were down at the swimming pool in the building <clears throat> where you live, and a neighbor took a photograph of your son. Uh, and it enraged you so much uh, that you grabbed the phone, threw it in the pool, uh, and then you were subject to arrest for felony sudden snatching. It was later knocked down to a misdemeanor, but uh, 
what does that incident tell you or tell voters about your temperament, about your ability to sort of be in a tough situation? Well, that's actually been asked and answered many times in the media. I will never apologize for defending my family. That, ex that entire incident has been exaggerated. But the interesting point you bring is that that's the question that I'm invited to answer, except this is the more important part. By default, I bring more funding because I'm part of the majority party. And the parents' rights in education bill, I'm already working with two House members and a Senate member that are going to help me rewrite. I'm going to create an amendment for lines 97 to 102 that are the ones that pinch a community that I love and live amongst in the city that I grew up in. Number two, I have tremendous respect for women. And the fact that women in my district are walking around thinking that their rights are under attack is unacceptable to me. I will fight for their rights. Yeah. And my opponent might Fabian, say we can't do much, Fabian, but guess what? I, I, I beg your pardon. I'm, I'm just going to have to, I'm sorry, I'm yeah. going to have to jump in here because, you know, we'd like to hear what you're saying, but you're not answering my question. You snatched okay, a so woman's phone that. out of her hand and threw it okay. in a swimming pool. And that, you know, to a lot of people, that is just unacceptable behavior. Okay, so let me get back to that. The incident lasted a little over an hour. I was with my family and friends at the pool in my building where I live, where I've lived for a very long time. And uh, because that's actually been questioned once, once or twice. And arranged by the office, we were by the pool minding our business during the quarantine time when we were allowed to have 10 people maximum. We were a group of eight. A condo commando came down, started filming us, started harassing us within six feet, not wearing a mask, mind you, and we're not wearing it properly, half down, whatever it is. And we had asked her to stop. Now, I have my child, under, you know, underage, you know, without a shirt on. I have some high-profile guests. Think I'm, I'm always going to be a target, and I'm okay with that. But because of the people that were there, Oscar-winning celebrities, things like that, I don't know where this is going. This is going to get viral. I don't know this person. Activism has to stop. It's intrusive, it's dangerous, and it's and it's fine if it's on me. Attack me all day. But they included my son. I asked her repeatedly to stop. Yeah. She didn't. I did a two-finger grab. I threw it into the bay. I told her she was not keeping that recording. Got Happily, it. I got it. Got it. We got, we got, we got to go. Jordan Leonard, um, our, our apologies. Yeah. The, the television time here is just a, a mere snippet of what viewers can learn from you. Um, we hope to have you back at some point, and I hope you will join us, and we thank you both for your time. Gentlemen, thanks thank so much. Thank you thank so you. much. Thanks for having me. As always, we thank you for being here with us today and always. And remember, we are online at local10.com 24-7. And if you haven't already, get out there and vote. And remember, as always, stay informed, get involved, have a great Sunday.